Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash spookshow. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. It's time for our latest spoiler-filled movie review here on the All-American Spook Show Podcast. We take a deep dive into what makes each movie good or bad. Stick around at the end. Donnie has connections linking each movie to past episodes. Will gives the official kill. Professor Smoke gives his gore score. And of course, we all give our star ratings. As they say, on with the show. Hello and welcome to yet another edition of the All-American Spook Show Horror Podcast. I'm Josh and I'm joined here with Donnie, hey. Will, hey. and the Professor Smoke. Up. And we're here this week to kind of continue our somewhat unofficial, you know, uh, canon month that we've had going on. And this is the one that won the Patreon poll back in December. I, I know it's been a while coming, um, you know, as far as like uh, the payoff for the December Patreon poll. Literally coming out here on the last day of January, but that was just the way it it fell on our calendar, you know, since we had some other stuff lined up. But uh, we're here to uh, talk about 10 to Midnight. Like I said, it won the December Patreon poll. It beat out X-Ray, a.k.a. Hospital Massacre, and uh, Enter the Ninja. I-, I was blanking for a second there what the other one was, but it was Enter the Ninja. It was it was close. It came down close between Enter the Ninja and 10 to Midnight, but Charles Bronson always comes out on top. That is what we're going to be talking about here today. I guess, you know, before uh, we get into it and before I toss the trailer and everything, I'll go ahead and throw out the usual information. You can uh, email us, contact us at allamericanspookshow at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at AA Spook Show, Instagram, Facebook, the Slasher app, TikTok. You should be able to find us by searching for All American Spook Show. We're over on our YouTube channel. We have a Public page where we sell the, you know, sell the logo, sell the logoed merchandise. And some other cool designs. Uh, we need to throw up a couple of new designs. It's been a little. It's been a few minutes since we put anything new up on uh, T Public, um, but so we need to get around to that. But yeah, that's all there. You can go down to the link tree below, click on that, and uh, you'll see all the links to everything we got there. Oh yeah, and no, I was saying we should do a shirt for uh, Ten to Midnight, something like uh, a certain instrument on the front and on oh, the back. Say, you know what this is for? Something like that. Yeah. yeah, you know what this is for? And then just some like crude uh, outline drawing. Of uh, that specific item, <laughs> we'll get to. <laughs> it would have to be some car- some cartoonish crude drawing because who the hell would want that on a shirt? <laughs> Anyways, yeah, you can go down to the link tree link down in the show notes there, and you know it, it, you'll see a link to all these things that we mentioned. And of course, the big the big thing is uh, we want you to go join our Patreon. It's Patreon.com/slash/aaspookshow. We've got. We just updated some of the tiers. You know, we've added some other cool stuff. We just recently have been talking about it over, uh, you know, on Deadline Horror News, which is every Wednesday live over on our YouTube channel, every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. We were talking about the two new uh, uh, series that we're going to be interjecting here. Uh, one's going to be on the, here on the regular podcast feed, and the other one's going to be over on Patreon. The first series is going to be called Cult Corner, and that's going to be here, uh, you know, like I said, we're going to intersperse it here starting in the month of February. Uh, into the regular podcast feed and basically the whole premise is here's some cult movies that are not horror related so obviously we're a horror podcast so that's our main focus that's what we do but we wanted to kind of mix in some other movies that we all like you know to kind of uh you know give some some different flavor you know and, and add some stuff that we wouldn't normally be able to talk about because it's not a horror movie um so that's going to be starting up very soon um a matter of fact it'll start uh two weeks no i'm sorry three weeks from the airing of this episode will be the fir- first Cult Corner episode. That'll be episode 96 uh, on February 21st. And uh, the other new series that we're going to have is going to be over on Patreon, and it's called Crapster Peace Theater. Now, the you know, it's, <laughs> it's pretty self-explanatory, really, with the title of it. But uh, basically, it's going to be the worst of the worst, just the, some of the worst movies that maybe people suggest to us. Uh, maybe we have a, a poll up on, on the socials. Over on, actually, for that one, it's going to be like a poll probably over on Patreon. So patrons will be able to decide which which of the shittiest movies we can think of, which one would you like us to watch and talk about, because that's going to be a Patreon exclusive. Um, and now those could be anything. Like, that doesn't have to be a horror or non-horror or whatever. Like, that can be literally anything, just a shitty movie 
and uh, you know, you'll get to listen to us over on Patreon talk about that. So it should be a lot of fun. So join us at patreon.com slash show for that. And, of course, over on, on Patreon, we've also got uh, written articles from the professor, uh, professor's retro reviews, um, any other written articles that we have. Those are on there. We've got Crapster Peace Theater coming. We've got the Spook Show Rewind every month. And, of course, those weekly video minisodes every Tuesday with the Library of the Professor, all that stuff, and and, and exclusive polls and, and much more. Early access to episodes over on Patreon. So come join us, please. Patreon.com slash Show. We've got various levels, all the way from a dollar up to a crazy $1,000 level. So plenty of tiers. You know, if you, if you, can, if you can afford a, a cup of Starbucks coffee, uh, you can afford to <laughs> easily afford to, to come join us over on Patreon. Trust me. A lot of cool stuff. A lot of stuff you won't get here on the uh, on the regular podcast feed. But as far as the regular podcast, it's always free. It's always here. And lots of cool stuff always come in there. So, uh, you know, just wanted to kind of throw that out there. So, uh, I guess before we uh, get into the background and the movie itself, I'll go ahead and throw to the trailer for the Charles Bronson canon cult classic, 10 to Midnight. A sensational crime. An airtight alibi. We can't lay a finger on this guy. And a chain of evidence. Bring him in. Charles Bronson is a cop looking for a killer. And he's running out of time. Go ahead. Sink me in. You can't punish me. When the guilty go free, the system is the crime. Mean, selfish son of a bitch. But I want a killer, and what I want comes first. Well, how come I've never heard him mention a daughter? It seldom crosses his mind that he has one. He's one angry man with someone to protect. How long with your father? He can make a difference. You like hurting girls? I won't answer that. Girls won't have anything to do with you, but you get back at them, don't you? I won't listen to your filth. Oh, Gotta remind you about evidence obtained under duress. It's inadmissible, Leo. We got no evidence and we can't hold this kid. He's our man, Captain. I'm gonna get him. Found some blood. He's flying. There was no blood on my clothes and he knows it. Yeah. How do you play, Warren? Guilty or not guilty? <laughs> not guilty. The last thing I want to do is get involved with a cop. Well, I don't blame you. Leo, I went back to the lab and I talked to the technician. And I asked him if you... Why didn't you ask me? You know why. We could nail it sooner or later. After counting how many more dead. We had to be stopped. Forget what's legal, do what's right. After all the evidence is in, he'll reach his own verdict and execute the sentence by the deadline. When there is no justice, this man is the law. Ten to midnight. Charles Bronson. Lisa Eilbacher and Andrew Stevens in a Golan Globus production of a J. Lee Thompson film. Ten to midnight. All right, so there you go. So uh, I guess, you know, we'll, we'll give our star ratings and everything at the end like we normally do. And I don't want to get too much into, like, you know, your initial thoughts and stuff uh, off the top here because I want to save the good stuff for the end. So we'll leave that there. But we do have a little bit of a taste here. Now, last week... Here on the Spook Show, we had a special guest. We had a uh, film historian slash author Paul Talbot, who's you know probably one of the foremost experts in the career and uh, life of Charles Bronson. We had him on the show last week, and uh, we had a chance after the uh, interview that you heard last week to talk to him a little bit more about Ten to Midnight and get his star rating on it. So uh, I'll go ahead and you know this is obviously a pre-recorded segment, so I'll go ahead and toss to that now so you can hear his thoughts on it. Ten to Midnight, I would give a five-star rating. I think it's a perfect movie. It perfectly captures, uh, perfectly succeeds doing exactly what it wanted to do. It's a suspenseful movie, a scary movie, a shocking movie. Also, very important, it captures that era. The early 1980s was the era where people were really trying to uh, shock people. The 1970s, the, the cinema had a lot of freedom in terms of Nudity, violence, foul language, uh, sexual subject matter. So the 80s had to take it up a notch. Ten to Midnight certainly does. It's filled with nudity, strange characters, violence. It's a it's a combines a slasher movie with a, a brutal cop movie, and I think it perfectly captures that. 
it's a good example. It's a uh, it's a good introduction for Charles Bronson. If people have not seen a Charles Bronson movie, that's a good introduction. Certainly, if people haven't seen a Bronson movie from the 1980s, that's a a good example. It's certainly one. Even nowadays, even though it's uh, you know, what's it going on? Thirty years now, uh, well, almost forty almost years. Forty, yeah. Uh, it's still uh, still a shocking movie. Still, people watch it now is kind of like, whoa, what did I just see? Beginning with almost like the first scene with the killer. I don't want to, I won't give anything away because for those who haven't seen it, but it's still a shocking, uh, powerful movie. Also a good example of a canon movie. If you've never seen a canon movie, uh, it's a good introduction. All right, so there you go. That's what uh, Paul had to say about it. Like I said, we'll get into our thoughts and our star ratings at the end and see what how it stacks up, but... Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty lofty praise, wouldn't you say, Smoke? Oh yeah, yeah, that's a uh, yeah. Well, like, well, I won't get into our thoughts going down that path yet, but yes, that is definitely lofty praise. Before we get into the movie itself, we'll go ahead and you know go through some of the usual information that we pull. Um, there is a, a, a the, another title for this movie. I, I don't know if you guys saw this anywhere, but the original script title for this movie was Bloody Sunday. Did not hear that. No, yeah. no, no. That's Blo- news to me. Bloody Sunday. And then eventually, you know, obviously they just changed it to 10 to midnight, and that's what it was released pretty much, you know, wherever it was released around the world. Um, honestly, you know, <laughs> not to get too much into the movie, I don't think either of these titles really make a whole hell of a lot of sense as far as what the movie is, right? Like, is Bloody Sunday any worse or better than 10 to midnight? You know, as far as a title for this particular story that they're telling. No, it's not, I don't think it's any... Well, I don't think it's any better or worse. I think it maybe leans into the horror aspect a little bit more. Mm. And the Ten Midnight title, just even though it doesn't really pertain much to the movie, leans into the, you know, you think of a thriller or maybe a police procedure or something when you hear that title. Yeah, I mean, like, but even, like, you know, what they eventually landed on, Ten to Midnight, like, that, that, does that title make really any sense as far as, like, the movie itself? You know, like it's not like, you know, I'm thinking like the title, like 10 to midnight is my point. It feels like there should be like a somewhat of a running clock going on. Like, you know, some something's going to happen at a certain point, you know. So like this is the rush to get there kind of thing, like to stop it before it happens. But like there's nothing like that going on. Right. No, no, there's no no real. I mean, there's some, you know, the tense moments that happen near the end of weather, but nothing like a not necessarily a race against the clock. I mean, not literally, you know. Yeah. They are get some get to a certain point without getting to that part of the plot yet. They're trying to get to a certain point, but yeah, it's not like time had necessarily anything to do with it. So I don't know why that title was chosen necessarily, Hell, or even chosen a bloody Sunday title. <laughs> I'll go more specific to what we've talked about here on the show recently. I think Ten to Midnight works better as a uh, as a uh, title for New Year's Evil. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's probably a, yeah. Uh, agreed. Yeah, <laughs> but that's, that's probably a better here. title than. Uh, Jesus. Well, New Year's Evil, they probably just call it that because, you know, uh, all right, it's happening on New Year's and it's evil. And the guy's name is oh, yeah, Evil. And, and, and we then, have the first New Year's, you know, New Year's movie title. Yeah. <laughs> just like, you know, this is probably 13th, you know. We need to have the, the New Year's Halloween, or the New Year's slasher title out there. So. I'm fully I can conv- definitely show New Year's in the title. But <laughs> I'm fully convinced at this point that they, they wrote that, they wrote and recorded that song. Before they ever had a script for the movie, that's just my thoughts. So they, <laughs> they started with the song and then worked their way backwards. I think. <laughs> I, I think they probably themselves were listening to that song on loop as they were writing the script. Yeah, <laughs> and doing lots of heavy drugs. Yeah. Um, but the movie was released March eleventh, nineteen eighty three. Of course, by the Canon Group slash City Films, which you know was basically just a, a production group of Canon, and it was distributed, of course, by Canon Films. It was rated R, total runtime of one hour. I'd say rated R, that's a hard R, by the way. If for nothing yeah. if for nothing else, the nudity, right? The total runtime is one hour and 41 minutes, and it was filmed in various locations uh, around Los Angeles uh, starting around October 25th of 1982. So, you know, sometime like late October, and I'm sure into November uh, was of 1982 is when this was filmed, for a budget of $4.5 million that I could find, and then it grossed a little over seven million, so seven point one million dollars in the time that it was out. And I don't think it played very long, from what I could gather. But um, when it debuted, it was number two in the box office that particular weekend. And not to get too deep into the the box office numbers, but I'll go ahead and read off the top five from that particular weekend of March 11th through the 13th, 1983. Number five, 48 Hours, was in its 14th week. So that's what. Yeah. Four hundred and eight nine nine twelve. That's uh, almost four months. 
it had been out <laughs> and it was still number five in the box office. The other big debut that weekend at number four, Trench Coat. Number three, Gandhi. And that had also been out for 14 weeks. Mm. And number two debut, 10 to Midnight, made a little over $3 million in its opening weekend. And, of course, uh, you know, it's got it listed as distributed by MGM. I think they had that brief little partnership with MGM UA around this time period uh, when this came out. And then, of course, I shouldn't say of course, but number one at the box office for apparently a long-ass time in its 13th week, Tootsie was still <laughs> was still raking it in at the box office. <laughs> so 10 to Midnight yeah. lost to Tootsie that week. Uh, that's your yep. little random box office snapshot. Are there worse movies to... Uh, nah, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Nah. No. <laughs> I, for me, the big the big part of this uh, box office numbers was the movie Trenchcoat, which I'd never, I to this point, I've never even heard of, and it was number two. Yeah, no, well, no, it was, uh, well, it was number two as far as like what opened that week, but it was number four that particular week. Um, all I see about all I see about Trenchcoat here, without digging any deeper, was that uh, the synopsis says an aspiring mystery writer becomes accidentally embroiled in an international plot during a two-week stay in Malta. Why did a bunch of shit happen in Malta in, in 80s movies? You ever notice that? <laughs> it's an exotic on, location. Uh, on IMDb, it had 6.3 out of 10 stars. It only has a 12 on, on you know the Metacritic Metascore, so that's pretty low there. Over on Rotten Tomatoes, on the tomato meter, it's 40%, and the audience score is 50%. It was directed by J. Lee Thompson. Uh, he is mostly known for The Guns of Navarone, um, he directed a couple of the Planet of the Apes movies, you know, back in the 70s, the original run. Conquest of the Planet of the Apes and Battle for the Planet of the Apes. Now, apparently I saw somewhere where he was supposed to um, direct the original Planet of the Apes, but he was busy doing a, a, another movie at the time. I think I, I think I read it that it was McKenna's Gold that he directed uh, at that time period, so he, he wasn't able to do that. But he also directed the original Cape Fear back in 1962, you know, as far as, like, movies related to uh, horror and things that would be more interesting to uh, our audience. He also directed Happy Birthday to Me, uh, you know, a couple years before this in 1981. And uh, he, he directed a, few, a you know, handful of other canon movies a little while after that, and another Bronson movie at least, uh, The Evil That Men Do, that came out a year after 10 to Midnight. And uh, a couple canon movies, King Solomon's Mines, uh, Death Wish 4, The Crackdown. So he definitely had a, a relationship with Charles Bronson because he had uh, directed a number of things that he was involved in he also got a uh, uncredited story uh writing credit for this which i guess uncredited credit right it's kind of an oxymoron but you get the point uh he this is uh it was written by william roberts william roberts uh would mostly be known for writing uh one of donnie's favorites major pain from 1995 Fuck you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the last american hero the magnificent seven he was the writer on that uh, 28 writing credits, so you know definitely a, 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 a modest amount of success. Of course, it stars stars it stars Charles Bronson as Leo Kessler. Obviously, you know we we just talked to Paul Talbot uh, last week about Charles Bronson, so you know we we don't need to go too deep there because we did, you know we didn't take a deep dive into his career, but we did you know a fairly good overview and you know talked about Ten to Midnight and some other movies that he did for Canon and stuff like that, but. Um, I mean, he had 164 acting credits over, over the course of his career. And that's according to IMDb. And those date all the way back to 1949. He was in an episode of the series Fireside Theater. Um, so, he, I mean, like, he, he had a good amount of success all the way, <coughs> sorry, throughout the 50s and into the 60s and stuff. And, and, of course, the 70s and everything with, you know, the first Death Wish movie that came out in 1974. Um, that's, I, I guess that was kind of like one of the big ones, right? I mean, he's been in a ton of other stuff, but that was one of the big ones. Uh, he was also in, uh, once a time, once upon a time in the West, which is, you know, another classic epic, uh, Western flick from 1968, the great escape in 1963, the magnificent seven, just some classic, you know, movies of the sixties and seventies there. Um, but if you want to hear us talk, you know, more and in depth and, and honestly with a professional in Charles Bronson, go back and listen to last week's episode with Paul Talbot, we'll, you know, we'll go more into that. Ten to Midnight also stars Lisa Eilbacher. Uh, other than Ten to Midnight, she is best known for being a Beverly Hills Cop, you know, the original from 1984. She was in An Officer and a Gentleman, um, you know, a year before Ten to Midnight came out. And then in 1989, she was in Leviathan. She just basically, like, from what I could tell, she basically just, like, left the, the business high and dry in 1995. Like, pretty much all of the last credits that she has on IMDb as pretty much anything other than herself. 
you know, she just, you know, she was in a couple, like, literally, like, four or five TV movies that wrap up, like, in the early 90s, early to mid-90s, and then that was it. The part of, of Paul, Paul McCann in the movie, was played by Andrew Stevens. He has 93 acting credits on IMDb, and, and he's still active today. You know, he's still in stuff, you know. Um, it looked like he kind of took a little bit of a, a, a hiatus there, like, from 2010 to 2018, he wasn't really in much. But since then, he's been fairly active in a handful of projects. He would best best be known for, you know, I guess other than uh, in this role here in 10 to Midnight, for he was in uh, the producer of The Boondock Saints, 3,000 Miles to Graceland, The Whole Nine Yards, The Pledge. So like I said, acting credits is 93, but he's got 135 producing credits. Um, and those date back to uh, 1979 was his first one, a TV movie. But then after that, 1990, and then it was pretty steady after that. So he clearly went into producing, you know, I guess after his main, uh, the main part of his acting career was over. So uh, lots of good stuff attributed to his name. A couple more here. We got Gene Davis, who plays Warren Stacy, you know, the main, uh, the main baddie in this movie here. Um, he is best known for this. And uh, he had a role in another episode that we've done uh, in the past. I don't remember what episode it was right off the top of my head. But it was The Hitcher from 1986. He played Trooper, mm. he played Trooper Dodge in that episode or episode, that movie, which was an episode that we did. Uh, he yeah, was, episode, uh, let me look real quick. That was episode number 15 in the Spook Show archives. Yeah, I knew it was a while back. I couldn't put a number on it, but I knew that was like, you know, really early on when we did that. Will, I'm sure you remember his role in The Hitcher fondly, right? Oh, who, who wouldn't? Right? <laughs> I mean, Trooper Dodge really stood out. <laughs> <laughs> Especially for that movie, since you love that movie so much, is why I tossed to you, you know, if you didn't get it there. No, 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 I got a, it. I got a, it. <laughs> a Still waiting for something to happen in that movie. A Rut, a, well, <laughs> now, calm down there, Hoss. A, a Rutger Hauer classic, and you just continue to belittle that movie. And then? <laughs> well, that's all I got. Uh, he was. Uh, why do you he, hate it so much? I wouldn't necessarily say it was that you hated it, right? It was just you didn't. You weren't excited. Yeah, no, about I just it. wasn't <laughs> as in love with it as y'all were. It was just a lot of downtime in that movie. <laughs> Once again, go back in the archives. Would you say episode fifteen? That sounds about right. Go back and uh, check that episode out and just get his feelings on that. <laughs> he was also in. Uh, I'm talking about uh, Gene Davis. Going back to him, he was also in The Relic. He was in Universal Soldier in 1992. Uh, 31 acting credits on IMDb, and uh, although this is a pretty memorable damn role, right? <laughs> Uh, I'll bring up a, another couple of cool acting, uh, act, uh, I'm sorry, character actors that were in this movie. Jeffrey Lewis is uh, uh, Dave Dante. Now, he's he's the guy that uh, plays the in this movie. He's the lawyer for Warren Stacy. That's that guy. But he, I mean, he had, uh, he actually unfortunately passed away back in April of 2015 at the age of 79. But, I mean, he was, he was also in another episode that we've done. He was in The Devil's Rejects. He was in The Way of the Gun, Double Impact, Night of the Comet, which is, you know, obviously we always say this, but that's definitely one that we need to get around to here on the show. But one of those character actors that was in everything in, like, the 70s and 80s. I mean, every other show or movie you turn it on, this guy had some small role in it. 226 acting credits on uh, IMDb and literally worked all the way up until the time of his passing. And the last thing he was in actually came out two years after his death. That was a movie called High and Outside of Baseball in the War. Um, but, yeah, wonderful uh, character actor. And another really good one uh, that pops up in this movie, you know, that actually has a, a bigger role, honestly, was Wilford Brimley. Now, I think this is the, <laughs> the first time we've had old Wilford Brimley in any of our movies, right? Or unless I'm blanking on one. Anyone? No. no you well, we did do Cocoon. Correct. So, well, you forget about that time we did Cocoon. I don't think we've done Cocoon here. If not, but we could put it on the list for Cold Corner. (laughs) (laughs) And he's to me, he was also one of those dudes. Now, unfortunately, Wilford Brimley passed away back in August of 2020. But even when he died, it was like, dude, I thought he died a long time ago kind of thing. But like, no, he (laughs) he was still around, you know, Uh, although, you know, his his uh, parts were, you know, sporadic after like, say, uh, 2001, 2002. He really wasn't in much you know, off and on anymore after that. But, yeah, obviously you alluded to it there. Cocoon would probably be the one thing that everybody would be like, uh, you know, possibly recognize him from from the 80s. Also, The Thing. He was Dr. Blair in The Thing, you know, John Carpenter's version from 1982. I'd say those would be the two biggest you would remember him from. And, of course, uh, every meme on the Internet about diabetes. Is, uh, <laughs> cause he had I'm those, sorry, what did you call it? Oh, I'm sorry, diabetes. 
Uh, <laughs> that was him because it was like a, it was, it was like some old diabetes commercial or something, right? Wasn't that what it was that that came from? And then it, maybe it was one of those like late night commercials that was on, like you know, for the old people or something like that, or early in the morning commercials. And uh, he would be talking about diabetes, and <laughs> so it always just, <laughs> yep, it always just stuck with the you know with the masses with him. But uh, so yeah, he was also in the Natural and uh, the uh, Kevin Klein movie In and Out. So a long, long career, you know, unfortunately, like I said, he's no longer with us. I'll bring up one other name before we move on to the movie itself here, just because it's, it's a small role, but it's interesting. Kelly Preston as Doreen. Um, she would go on to be in, you know, Battlefield, Battlefield Earth, Jerry Maguire for Love of the Game, What a Girl Wants, handful of other things. I mean, 73 acting credits, but she was also married to John Travolta uh, for many years until her unfortunate passing in uh, July of 2020. I think she mm. died of some type yeah. of cancer or something like that. Really, that's about all I had, you know, just on the surface. Was there anything you guys wanted to bring up before we got into the movie itself? No, man. You know, you pretty much hit it, you know, on the head. Uh, aside from Phoebe Cates, uh, man, Kelly Preston, 80s crush, bro. Yeah, yeah she was uh, she was uh, prime cut uh, <laughs> back in the 80s, man, no doubt. Oh, yeah, Donnie mentioned Phoebe Cates. That was uh, definitely a, a, a big crush back in the 80s. About Kelly Preston real quick. She this this movie was really like her first full length feature film debut really because everything on IMDb that she has up to this point there was one two three four episodes of like random TV shows like Hawaii Five O and The Renegade and stuff so this would be, this basically and it wasn't her name wasn't even uh, Kelly Preston credited in this movie it was Kelly Palzis in this movie so like yeah the, Ten to Midnight is basically her feature film debut because she didn't do another film until Metal Storm the Destruction of Jared Sin. I have never heard of that, um, but it sounds yep. interesting. And then, of course, she was in Christine, the classic Stephen King, John Carpenter flick. What is it? Hey, why it's buttercup, popcorn, add some butter to hot popcorn. Mix it up, wrap it up, buttercup is born. It's delicious. So nutritious. It's a taste delight. It's so munchy. Crisp and crunchy. You'll enjoy each bite. Eat butter-crunched buttercup, popcorn at its best. Served in a king-size cup. For you, the listeners of the All-American Spook Show podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Um, so I just went on Audible and typed in Charles Bronson to see what would come up. Now, Paul Talbot that we talked to last week, he wrote probably you know two of the more definitive books about Charles Bronson that we know of. And uh, that's what we're going to consider here on Spook Show to be the creme de la creme. But from what I can tell, those things aren't available on Audible. There is no audio book version of those books. But we do highly encourage you to go out and find those, you know, from Paul Talbot. But what I could find on Audible, just typing in Charles Bronson, was American Legends, The Life of Charles Bronson by Charles River Editors. That one's only a little over an hour long, one hour and eight minutes. So it's it's brief, but I'm sure, you know, you get uh, a little bit about the background about his early life and everything on that one. And really just, you know, at a quick glance, that's the, I, I found a, a podcast, but like other than that, like I'm not really finding anything else about Charles Bronson as far as audiobooks are concerned. There's another book here called Behind Bars, Britain's Most Notorious Prisoner Reveals What Life Is Like Inside by Charles Bronson. But I don't think it's the same Charles Bronson. Um, no, no, definitely a different guy. Yeah. No. <laughs> and okay, that, yeah. Oh, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, you talking about the British guy? Yeah, yeah. He did take his name from the. He took his name from Charles Bronson, the actor. But yeah, that's yeah. That's he whole, was that's a fighter. Actually, a Charles Bronson that was directed by the guy that directed Drive. I think he called himself Charles Bronson. He might have been nicknamed Charlie Bronson, but he basically took his that nickname from from the actor Charles Bronson. <laughs> well, if you want to hear, uh, hear more that's, about that's, his, that's a whole other thing we'll get into. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you want to hear more about his story, there's the audio book there on Audible. So. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash spookshow. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash spookshow for your free audiobook. So, um, yeah, that's interesting. But I'm surprised that there's not more books. I mean, and maybe that's where Paul Talbot's book, you know, kind of falls into the, you know, almost really like, uh, you know, what we're going to have coming up um, next week when we're going to talk to author Austin Trunick about his book, the Canon Film Guide. When you really start digging around, man, there's not a lot of books on, say, like Canon Films, and there's not a lot of, you know, it doesn't look like there's a whole hell of a lot of books on Charles Bronson either. So maybe these guys picked the right uh, thing to dive into, you know, as far as like 
being the definitive uh, source for you know those particular subjects. But yeah, that's a little tease to next week, by the way. Too, we we will be talking to author Austin Trunick about the the Canon Film Guide, and uh, um, so we're all looking forward to that. And uh, you should be too, uh, you know, to make sure you stay tuned here to the podcast feed for that one because I think it's going to be a good one. But anyways, I guess we'll go ahead and get into the movie itself now. Ten to midnight, it starts <laughs> with basically a scene setting up that. Uh, you know Bronson's character in this, uh, Leo Kessler. That he's a he's a cop and he's an uh, an asshole. That's literally like all this opening. You know this little cold open scene achieves. Oh. Like, <laughs> I think doesn't he even deliver the line like uh, something along the lines I'm uh, I'm a I'm an asshole or something. But like uh, I God, I can't even remember the direct line. What did he say, Smoke? Right off the top. Yeah, I remember. I don't remember the direct wording of it either. Right, you know. yeah, basically, I don't have to be friendly to uh, to catch the criminals kind of line, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, that's where you get the credits. Basically, you come right in and you, you're introduced to this, to, to the main, you know, bad guy or whatever, the villain of the movie, uh, Warren Stacy, who uh, basically is just a pervert and a creep on ladies. And if they spurn his advances, uh, he's probably going to come around and kill you while he's butt naked. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty much what you, you gather from the first handful of minutes here, right, Will? <laughs> Yeah, and, and the part, you know, not to necessarily jump ahead, but it's his running theme of uh, getting butt naked and running around. <laughs> now, he does this to, to make sure that there's no evidence on him. Yeah, but they never address that. They never say that. You know, I guess you just have to put it together. That's why he's doing it. I agree, but uh, even if you were naked, there's blood splatter. Yeah. Then when you go to put your clothes on, smearing it on your clothes. Even if you're butt naked, uh, you're still going to be, like, stepping around in it and leaving, like, you know... Not fingerprints, obviously, but like toe prints and stuff, right? Like, there's probably, there's probably something they could get out of that, right? If you got, if they got your damn footprint and blood, uh, possibly. But and what if it's upside down? And <laughs> you got me good with that one. I don't know. I don't know how you could uh, figure things out if you have upside down fingerprints. Um, thanks, malignant. But yeah, like basically, you just establish like, all right, this guy's a perv, and uh, if you say no, oh fuck you, I'm coming back and I'm gonna kill you. And and I'm gonna be butt naked chasing you through the forest like Wang Wang Chung tonight, you know, full on full on hog running through the damn you know woods to come kill your ass. It, I, I'll say this: it's a it's an eye opening uh uh you know first like ten fifteen minutes here, right? Like as far as all you know the stuff involved with him is concerned. Well, also of note too, while we're talking about the whole blood and DNA and all that. One thing to do, I came across and didn't realize, you know, doing a little bit of research on this movie was it was the movie was made in 1982, and that was two years before DNA started to be used in criminal investigations. So huh. I guess there's a little bit of you know of credence to him stripping down, and you know, I mean, he's still going to get some blood on you and whatever, but, you know. But I don't know. I guess they just didn't. It's not. It wasn't as meticulous of a investigation with DNA as it was is now. I'm sure you try to do this now, and it's not going to help you at all. No. <laughs> Just be stripping down naked for the hell of it, I guess. <laughs> well, that's kind of what I... me, sir. Uh, uh, is this is this your short and curlies? Uh, it looks like it. Uh, you sick bastard. I mean, that's kind of <laughs> what I that's kind of what I thought was going on at first. Like, man, this dude, he must get his rocks off, right? Like, this is thing. But like, I never got that vibe later on. Like, I don't think that's why he was doing it. I think he was just doing it to not have blood and shit on his clothes, right? So, like, that was his way of trying to get a. I guess basically, maybe it was a plot device to get to what eventually happened with uh, Leo, right? You think that's probably what it was? Like, you know, that he planted the blood on his on his coat or whatever? If there was blood on it, he's like, nope, nope, I know there was no blood on it because that's not how I kill, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure in some aspects. By the way, it takes, it takes a ton of confidence to be running around through, I'm guessing at least like a good, like, fifth of this movie, butt naked. Yeah. You mean as an actor? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, Balls of steel. I'll give them that. <laughs> and they were for the on, world to see. Yeah, and they were on display. So Leo, of course, and his partner that you get introduced to, Paul, they're on the case. The girl that you know he kills in this opening scene that that Warren kills just happens to be a friend of Leo's daughter, Lori. So then Warren goes in. And he hears. I, they, I forget how he, he he overheard them talking about the the diary, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was at the yeah, funeral. He heard, yeah, he was at the funeral and heard her say mention to him about her having a diary. Yeah. So he goes to her house and uh, looking for the diary. Her roommate walks in and then he kills her. 
Uh, <laughs> I think did he walk in naked or did he get naked when she showed up? I don't remember that part. <laughs> I'm I'm thinking in my head like I don't think he was naked at first when he's just trying to no, get the diary. Was it? Because I guess he he knew nobody was home and he he broke in to try and get yeah. the diary. That <laughs> wasn't. And then she came home while he was in the midst of trying to break open the door. And then he did right. He got in the closet and then I guess he got naked then. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just thinking of that. Like he went out of his way to get naked. Oh shit! I'm gonna have to go kill somebody now. Time to get naked. And then of course he does all that, and he opens up the drawer, and the diary's already gone. So apparently, uh, Leo, you know the cops, they've already been there and took the diary. So they come to question Warren <laughs> about you know his uh, his history with the girl, whatever. Because apparently they work together, right? Yeah, yeah. The the one that he killed at the beginning of the movie, uh, they work together. So. Leo and Paul come to question Warren about it. And uh, this is when they're looking. <laughs> Leo goes to the bathroom. You know, they're kind of snooping around his apartment. And he finds a penis pump in the bathroom. So then, uh, basically, I guess they, it kind of jumps here a little bit, right? Like, all of a sudden, like, well, uh, we, we've done our questions. Everything checks out. We'll talk to you later. And then all of a sudden, they just haul him in. Like, you know, all right, we've we brought you in. We've kind of uh, arrested you or whatever on, not arrested, but they brought him in for questioning. And then uh, Leo's giving him the, the, you know, the tenth degree there, and brings out the penis pump, and then that's where you get the, <laughs> the famous penis pump scene here, where he says, "What's this for? What's this for, Warren? You know what this is for? This is for jacking off." <laughs> now, really, the, but my real question here is, is, why? Like, what did that have to do with anything? Like, what's the, what's the penis pump guy? Like, all right, that's what he uses. To, you know, to do his business. Like, what did that have to do with the case? Like, is it to show he's just a pervert? <laughs> or the rest of the movie. Yeah, that too. It never comes back up. <laughs> not not that I was looking for it to come back up or anything, but just saying. <laughs> but that that was a, a, writer, a... It was probably a writer said, you know, I want to have Charles Bronson holding this and flapping this Peter Pump around saying, you know what this is for? It's for jacking off. Yeah. That's how it's for jacking off. <laughs> But you know, this would be hilarious. Oh, and it was. And it's also the most animated you'll, yeah. you'll see uh, Charles Bronson in a lot of his movies. Because usually he's like the cool, calm, like, I'm going to kill you right now. You know, kind of, you know, uh, actor in his movies. But in this one, like, he he kind of raises his voice and gets kind of pissed about it. Like, what is this for? You know what I have this for? Jack it off. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, uh, so, like, basically they got nothing on Warren, so they have to cut him loose. And then, of course, Warren immediately goes home and calls uh, Leo's daughter, Lori, and, you know, is dirty talking to her. Like, you know, like, almost as bad, if not worse, than, like, the shit we heard in Black Christmas. You know, the guy calling. (laughs) 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 Except this is just, like, coming right out with it. I'm going to eat your pussy. And then, like, you know, she tries tries to play along with it and, like, no, no, you're not going to do it the way I said. I'm, you know, like, it's just fucking awkward and weird and, and pervy. He calls himself Pedro, like he's, you know, he's speaking some Spanish or whatever. They're they're concerned about Lori, so Paul decides to go with Lori to a party, and uh, then they, of course, towards the end of the party, they kiss. So you know, now they're kind of they kind of got a thing going on as they're together. Like I think while they were like making out, the phone rings, and it's Warren calling again with the same bullshit. You know, like I'm gonna come and eat your ass. You know, whatever the hell he says. My name's Pedro, by the way. Lucky. <laughs> He's pretty ter- a terrible like Mexican Spanish Spanish slash Mexican accent. You know, terrible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like basically all that does is allow them because they've hooked up some device to the phone to record the conversation. So now I guess they feel they've got enough evidence, like, yeah, this dude talking on the phone here, it's it matches to the recording we have of uh Warren when we brought him in for questioning. So th- they use By the that. Way, that, that stuff right there. You know, like the, uh, the the voice pattern recognition guy? <laughs> that's not voice pattern recognition. It's just like, hey, listen to this. Now listen to this. Yep, that's the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, it's just like a, it's just like quicksand when I was a kid, man. Like, I thought those things were going to be big when I grew up, and they never come into play <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> you mean like when you're young, like in life, like, oh, yeah, voice pattern recognition is going to be a thing. <laughs> I'm going to run it. Oh, yeah, that's. I'm going to run into quicksand every time I go somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> like, like every TV show, it felt like in the 80s. Like, like had quicksand and a, and a, and a voice guy. Yeah. 
So, anyways, Leo goes down to the evidence room and then like takes a takes some uh, uh, like a vial of blood, or not even really like a vial. He just like takes the vial, takes a little bit of blood out, and and leaves out while he's like distracting the guy with like a a, a tape so they can match the tapes or whatever. Um, so then they arrest Warren because they found blood on a jacket. Then eventually, Paul puts it together that Leo planted the blood on the jacket, and then Leo admits it to him. And then they go into the courtroom, and then basically they dismiss the case, and Leo is fired. Now, what would probably happen in reality is Leo probably would have been arrested movie over, right? <laughs> well, then also he probably wouldn't have admitted to a uh, relatively young cop uh, that he planted evidence. Yeah, like he, he doesn't spend really any time at all like shaming him either. Like, man, you know this is fucked up. Yeah, it was. I'm going to go admit to it. You know, like, <laughs> he, he puts up no fight. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're right. Fucking shit. Here we go. All right, I did it. He was after my daughter, but what can I do? <laughs> so Warren, of course, you know, he, he's, you know, he gets out. They dismiss it, so he's out. And then immediately calls Leo to threaten him. Um, and, of course, threaten Laurie and everything. So, basically, Leo turns the tide and starts stalking him back and, like, threatening him back, right? Like, <laughs> he's driving down the road, like, uh, just driving beside him and smiling at him. <laughs> And I think I messaged you guys like while I was watching it, like, dude, like, Charles Bronson's the last dude I want smiling at me, like, you know. <laughs> <There's> <laughs> yeah, just, we mentioned that. Yeah. There's just something creepy about uh, that motherfucker smiling at you, you know, like, oh hell, I'm gonna die today, aren't I? <laughs> oh god. And then he puts the uh, the photos of the crime victims at the guy's place of business, at his, the place where the guy works, right, on the yeah. bulletin board in his office. <laughs> Yeah, he works for, like, I don't even know what this company is that he works for. It's like a typewriting company. What the shit is this? Um, So then Warren goes out and gets a prostitute and and then immediately poisons her. Like, I get, like, he's trying to distract him, right? Like, because he knows that Leo is following him and everything. But what's the point Mm -hmm. of, like, just poisoning her and then, like, skipping out the window? Like, I was thinking at first, like, oh, that's clever. Maybe he's going to make it look like Leo did this. But, no, it was just basically just a, a... you know, uh, catch me if you can scenario here. Like he poisoned her for really no good reason at all. Well, I, I took that as, uh, all right, now she's passed out. I'm going to run, go kill this girl. And they come back. And I've been in here with this prostitute for the last three hours. Maybe. Well, okay. Then maybe you're saying he didn't poison her. Maybe he just knocked her out. Cause I, I yeah, just kind of assumed he killed her. Passed. I didn't read it that way. Maybe you're right. Maybe I, you're right. This dude's all about having alibis. Yeah. Which he, he did have a pretty, uh, Pretty good little alibi bit at the beginning of the movie where he like he was at the yeah. movie, and he talked to those girls and perved on those girls, and then like in the middle of the movie, he kind of slid out the window, went and killed people, and then <laughs> and then came back and then just sat back in the back of the theater again. So of course, while Leo's dealing with the you know the the prostitute that's you know knocked out or dead or whatever she is, Warren goes back to the dorm of Lori, and uh, he basically stalks and kills all three of her roommates, and he's looking after her. And he grabs a hold of Lori, and she manages to burn him with a curling iron, and that that gives her enough, you know, uh, to escape, his, you know, his clutches and run down the street. Then Warren is literally th- th- at the end of this movie, he's literally chasing her down the street, butt ass naked, <laughs> hauling ass. Meanwhile, nobody's like, there's a helicopter, like a police helicopter, up above, and they're not shooting. They're not like, hey, stop or anything. They're just like following it. Uh, of course, right when it looks like Warren's about to grab Lori, uh, Leo shows up and, uh, you know, stops him just in time. So then, like, the cops descend on this situation. You know, they've got they've got Warren now. And, you know, there's tons of cops around, like dozens. Helicopter above and everything. And he's basically screaming at Leo, like, uh, fuck you, man. I'm just going to keep doing it. You know, like, uh, I'll get out. And, I'm crazy. Yeah, I'm crazy. And, and I'll admit it, and they'll just let me off, and I'll be right back out here doing it again. <laughs> And then Leo just, uh, no, you won't. <laughs> just shoots more <laughs> right in the fucking forehead credits. So, <laughs> And then the funny part about all this is like he's being held back by cops. Oh, you can't take me like this. Oh, I'm going I'm to get out as soon as I can. All right, so Bronson shoots him. And then they show like an overhead shot. Yep. And there aren't any cops anywhere around him. Nothing. They're yeah. just like, you know what? Fuck this. Yeah, <laughs> not worth taking a bullet for this motherfucker. Well, you know, we we've discussed like Canon wasn't uh, known for their uh, their big budgets and stuff, so maybe like, you know, that that's just where they decided to end it. Like, you know, like all right, it's kind of an abrupt ending, and we're not gonna uh, take the time continuity wise to make this overhead shot look any better than it should. <laughs> you know, so fuck it. Like, uh, we we've used we've got enough. 
We've used up enough of the budget. That's it. <laughs> we can only get this helicopter for 30 minutes. It's one of those, like, uh, sea <laughs> Los Angeles. Yeah, like, no, it's one of those sea Los Angeles uh, $10 a ride helicopters that you see down, you know, like at the beach or in touristy places, you know. <laughs> now, I did read somewhere that uh, uh, in the final scene, like, uh, Bronson and Warren were supposed to actually fight like hand to hand. I saw that, and uh, and Bronson was like, "Nope, not getting that close to a guy that's yeah. naked." He'll he'll know he's naked. Fuck that shit. <laughs> Fucking can, Bronson. Can I just shoot him in the forehead? Yeah, that'll work. Okay. Uh, so so there you go. Ten to midnight. Now you know I'll say. Well, I guess we'll go ahead and get into the star ratings and everything because uh, that's where we'll get our. Uh, our, our vast opinions. So, Donnie, I guess I'll toss to you first. What's your uh, What are your thoughts on old Ten to Midnight? I guess you know. Also, uh, all of us should add like whether this is the first time you've watched it or not, since we didn't you know talk that, talk about that off the top. And then, what's your star rating? This is something we we've we've talked about previously. You know, the sleazy kind of nudity. It gives its you know I guess kind of its appeal. Uh, you kind of know what you're getting with uh, with a canon film. You know, I guess in this respect but uh it's not really violent to i guess by today's standards but you know it's still bloody um those are the things that i like um uh i would say it's it's probably got it's uh i don't know maybe intentional or unintentional one-liners and you know kelly preston as well is definitely a plus for me on the negative side i i kind of feel like it's kind of this is the Charles Bronson that I did not grow up with. Uh, it's kind of Bronson light, if you if you would say. Um, it's kind of slow. It dragged in spots for me. It's good enough for the reasons I stated, but uh, I once you see this, this is this is not really something that I would want to see again. Um, but still. You know all the positives that I've uh, that I've stated previously. I would give it two and three quarters. Donnie, did you say this is the first time you watched it or not? I, I don't remember if you said that. I had actually seen bits and pieces of this uh, many years ago without actually realizing what it was. Uh, okay. I had watched it on uh, I'm going to say it was my grandparents' HBO, and it was like, wait a minute, tits. Yeah. Let's change the channel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so just like, yeah, fuck this. You're you're like eight years old. You don't need to be watching this. But Will, what uh, is this the first time? What are your thoughts and star rating and all that? Yeah, and I've never seen it before. I think I'd heard of it, but yeah, never seen it before. So this is the first time viewing. I, I am online with a, a good portion of what Donnie said. You know, like this isn't the the, the Bronson that you know we grew up watching. To me, the, the fact that it didn't have that much of him, you know doing typical Bronson things kind of took away from the movie. Like there are parts like the, the first couple minutes where, you know, there's like actual things happening is good. After Bronson decides to be a psycho after he gets fired, that, <laughs> that was the better part of the movie. The, the middle, you know, I mean, there, there's some stuff going on. The, the character himself, Warren, interesting character. feel like that could have been a movie to itself without, Bronson, I, I don't know if that makes sense. Like to kind of like dig into why does he do this? How did he get here? Yeah, maybe a prequel. Yeah, understand yeah. him a little uh, more. So for me, uh, dude, I, I think I'm going to give it a two. There, there are bits and pieces in here I, I, I enjoyed. It just felt like it was missing probably more Bronson. All right, Smoke. Same to you. I, I know this isn't the first time for you. Um, yeah, I think this is the maybe fourth time I've seen it. First time I saw it was back in the VHS rental days. And I, I never owned a copy of this, though, on VHS. And I never owned a copy on DVD until, well, I mean, I do now, but it wasn't until not too many years ago. Maybe four or five years ago when I, I picked up the DVD. Mm-hmm. So not having owned it back then, I didn't get to watch it as many times as I did a lot of other Canon films or even Bronson films. But, but uh, then the second time I saw it was screening that I would mentioned in the uh, Spotlight episode that we did with Paul, where... Uh, the one where the first time that I met Paul actually was when he was introducing Ten to Midnight at a first Friday lowbrow grindhouse cinema showing at a, in that Columbia theater downtown. So that was the second time I saw it. Now that was a fun experience. I'd say like, if, if you think it's funny hearing Bronson deliver that, 
you know what this is for? It's for jacking off, isn't it? You know, <laughs> if you think it's funny just hearing that as you watch the movie in your living room, try watching that in the movie theater filled with people that are of like mind. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that was hilarious. That was that was an experience in and of itself. This whole movie in the theater, by the way, I, I have a feeling that all of you would enjoy this movie more if you'd seen it that way. I know I enjoyed it more than I did when I saw it back in you know. VHS days or whatever, when I saw it, that, that screening of it. As I mentioned, that first time I saw it, I enjoyed it for what it was, Charles Bronson and Cannon. And I believe this is his first movie for Cannon. I think Death Wish 2 he made. But I, believe, I, I want to say that's before Cannon existed as a company, and I think it was just Golden Globus Enterprises he yeah. made Death Wish 2, I believe. Uh, no, I think, no, that was a Cannon movie. And I mean, I saw it, I saw it, I was already well-versed with Cannon. It wasn't like I, I didn't see it back in 1983 or whatever. It was probably a few years. It might have even been in the early 90s, late 80s when I finally saw it. So I'd already been well familiar with canon, canon so to speak. So when I first saw it, yeah, it, it definitely was right up that alley as far as canon film. And then seeing it in the theater, I got a new appraisal for it. So uh, I'll probably, I would give it, I'm going to give it three and three quarters stars. I really enjoy it. It's, as you said, it's not the typical Bronson movie. And he's, it's not Bronson necessarily at top, you know, top form. But uh, I still enjoy it for for what it is. I mean, I, I love Canon. I have, a, I have a soft spot for Canon films, so they're probably going to get a little bit higher rating just based on that. <laughs> just on my entertainment value with Canon films. So. Uh, and I guess pretty uh, it's got its sleazy moments for sure, as we've talked about. And just hearing Bronson deliver that line is hilarious. <laughs> There's some other lines, some other one-liners like that as well. The whole aspect of we didn't really talk about it too much, but the killer is kind of based on sort of an amalgamation of different serial killers. I think uh, Richard Speck, he's got a little bit of him in there, the, and then uh, Ted Bundy. Hmm. And there's even a scene, I think, of him driving a Volkswagen right to one point, <laughs> like, like Bundy does. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that he's kind of like an attractive type serial killer, and like some of the women had mentioned on, in, you know, in the movie. So I think some of that, and Richard Speck was too, tying in some of that you know, real life type stuff with it. And then also the slasher movie aspect of it reminded me a little bit of a Chuck Norris movie's silent rage, which kind of combines that whole action adventure horror movie format. Uh, that was another one I really enjoyed. So kind of in that same league too. So yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I'd go with three and three quarters. Stars. Uh, I'll add before I move into uh, what I have to say about it. Uh, Death Wish two did come out before this almost a year. Exactly. Death Wish 2 came out in February of 1982, and then this came out in March of 83. So at least as far as oh. after, you know, Golan and Globus had taken over Canon Films, you know, as, you know, the guys that were running the show, this was the second film that uh, Bronson had done with them. Yeah, I mean, I'll echo, you know, I, I guess I'll just echo a lot of what you guys just said about it. I think I think it is fairly unique in a lot of ways, you know, especially with the, you know, the, the killer uh, running around naked, right? You know, most of the movie. <laughs> there, there is no mystery to this, right? It's, it's a lot like New Year's Evil in a sense, where like, you kind of know what's going on from the go as far as like who's doing this. You know, at that point, you're just trying to unpack like, are they going to catch this guy, and uh, what are his motivations and everything? You know, it's kind of what you, you know, the, the, the journey that you take along the way. You know, once you get there. But yeah, like, there's a lot of good one-liners. Um, I will agree with Will. Like, you know, once he. Uh, once he basically uh, goes nuclear and tries to frame the guy, and then he gets, you know, and then he admits to it, that's where you get like a little bit of the crazy Bronson going on. Like I said, you know, he was following him down the road and smiling at him and just fucking with him and stuff like that. So, like, that was definitely where it got turned up and it became a better movie for me. But overall, I enjoyed it. You know, I think it's a lot of fun for what it is. Uh, there's a lot of different kind of genres going on here with the mystery thriller, action, horror elements, you know, with the slasher type stuff, you know, all that. Um, so yeah, I, I think I'm going to go with three stars, uh, solid flick. And like Smoke said, you know, Canon films are probably going to, you know, rank a little higher than most, you know, on my scale, but like, I just, I'll just compare it directly to say one that we did recently, once again, with, uh, New Year's Evil. I like this better than New Year's Evil. So with that, all, all that out of the way, we'll, uh, we'll toss to our first little segment here. <laughs> Connections. Golan and Globus, as as far as uh, connections from past episodes, you know, they were tied to New Year's Evil. Um, that's really the only connection 
uh, I don't, I don't want to say the only, but there's not, you know, typically we, we try to go with the one who has the most connections from either the cast or the crew on the crew side is basically goal, goal and Globus, uh, with new year's evil on the, uh, cast side. Sorry. Uh, it's Jeffrey Lewis with, uh, devil's rejects. And it's also Shay Duffin who, um, uh, also uh, played a character in uh, the uh, Leprechaun from 1993. All right, so I guess that'll uh, uh, you know naturally lead to us our next segment. All right, so in this one, uh, I came up with seven. So we've got the uh, guy in the van. He got stabbed. Uh, the girl in the wood, she got stabbed. The roommate, she got stabbed. And uh, the three people in the dorm room, wait for it, they got stabbed. Uh, <laughs> and be... last but not least, <laughs> Warren got shot in the head. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe that was the gimmick. Like, they, they left the most brutal, you know, the, the one bullet for him, you know. <laughs> well, I guess that, <laughs> but at, at least that's probably one of the more memorable moments is that at the end, right? Um, that's true. And also something I read is uh, in that in that uh, final scene where he's killing the three girls in the dorm room, apparently he gets like kind of so caught up in the, in the moment, he ends up dislocating one of the girls' arms. Damn. Uh, in the scene. <laughs> I'm that's, sorry, that's I called, laugh at pain. <laughs> that's called method acting. <laughs> Just yank a girl's arm out of the socket. Jesus. So that naturally leads us to you, Smoke. Gore score. This is kind of a, a little difficult in rating Gore score because really, if you, straight up gore, there's not a whole lot of visceral graphicness to it. Because as Will mentioned, they're, they're stabbing. So there's not like a, you know, limbs being you know cut off decapitations or you know disembowelings or anything like that so it's not overly gory but it's pretty brutal the attacks are pretty brutal they're kind of done in somewhat of a semi-realistic sort of serial killer type way rather than your typical go for the gore slasher kind of and they, as we mentioned he's naked while he's doing it so that adds another dimension <laughs> to it so it's, it's just a, a bit more sleazy than your average kill you know slasher movie or whatever even though the kills aren't as graphic. It's a little difficult in rating, though. I mean, I, I'm torn between whether I'm giving it a 6 or a 7. Here, Smoke, before you give us your score, remember that the blade is his penis. <laughs> right, <laughs> penetrating. <laughs> well, taking that into account, it's a 10. <laughs> uh, let's go with 7. All right, so I guess that'll pretty much put a bow on, uh, on 10 to Midnight, you know, our first... And I'm sure won't be our last Charles Bronson movie. I can I can guarantee you that. I'm sure we'll, especially now that we're kind of broadening our our horizons with Cult Corner and and uh, maybe not so much Crapster Piece Theater, you know, over on Patreon. But you get the point. We're going to be watching movies other than just pure horror here on the show. As far as that, we'll be broadening our horizons and lowering our expectations. For yeah. Yeah. yeah, that 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 we'll, we're going to have to come up with a whole different scale. We've kind of talked about that off and on, you know, in our in our discussions about this whole new series. We're going to have to have a whole different type of scale for Crapster Peace Theater. So we'll go into that whenever the time finally comes. I don't think we're going to get around to that. Maybe maybe we don't in February for Crapster Peace, uh, but definitely by March we'll be we'll be dipping our toes in that pool. But we will be getting around to Colt Corner coming up, or you know, later on this month here in uh, in the month of February. Um, I can say that since it's January 31st and, you know, February is literally a few hours away. But um, we'll, we'll be getting into the cult corner and everything. We got the polls out. So uh, go over. You got until midnight tonight, matter of fact, to go vote, well, yeah. to go to go vote in the uh, in the poll for um, cult corner. Those four, which we haven't we, we didn't discuss at the top of the show and we probably should have. Uh, those four were the Warriors, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Help me out, guys. What are the other two? Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Yeah, the original. Bloodsport. John, John, yeah, the original John Carpenter Assault on Precinct Thirteen. What was the fourth one? Bloodsport. Bloodsport. Yeah, there you go. Those are your four four choices. You have until midnight tonight to be counted into the poll. You can go anywhere on our socials: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Slasher app, and even over on Patreon. It's free to vote on, on this poll. Over, even over on patreon.com slash a spook show um go and have your voice you know your voice counted your vote heard uh and then we'll uh, be announcing those probably within this week probably on uh deadline horror news live 
this Wednesday night. We'll, we'll be announcing the winner of that. So uh, lots of big stuff coming up in the month of February, and we're we are quickly approaching the 100th episode in March. We got, we've been talking about it, and we've got some big plans coming up for that. So just want to put that on your calendar. If all goes to, to schedule, that'll be coming up on March 21st. So just keep that in mind. We've got something big planned. Uh, hopefully there's some some cool stuff coming up for the spook show. Over yeah, next month, so, but like I said earlier, next week we'll be uh, welcoming special guest Austin Trunick. He's the author of the Canon Film Guide, Volume One, 1980 to 1984, and uh, Volume Two of that of his series will be coming out. Hopefully, uh, uh, we've heard from him in the springtime. So, the second book of that series um, will will be a thing. But and hopefully we'll have them on them. But next week we'll be talking to him, you know, about Canon Films, about the book and everything. So come back and check that out. Uh, hopefully it'll be a really cool interview and you don't want to miss it. And then, of course, uh, the following week, we don't know, what, we're not ready to announce the uh, the winner just yet because the poll closes once again at midnight tonight. But there's a Valentine's. Or 10 till midnight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's like 1 to midnight when oh. the poll closes. <laughs> um, but that'll also be tonight over on patreon.com slash Show. That's the one last thing. There's a poll for what we're going to watch on Valentine's Day. And the three choices are Valentine, Pontypool, and My Bloody Valentine, the remake from uh, 2009, I believe it was. So those are your three Valentine's choices for what we're going to watch uh, You know, on February 14th. So go vote, like I said, on both those polls. You can go to Patreon. For both of them and all the other, you know, all the other places, vote. Get it in by midnight tonight. So for Will, Donnie, Professor Smoke, I'm Josh. We are the All American Spook Show Horror Podcast, and we will talk to you next week. And now, folks, it's time to say good night. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Thank you.